Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. All right, church, I want to I tell you a story. Whenever I was a boy, um, I grew up in South Louisiana, okay? Um, Crowley, Louisiana, I actually just got finished talking about. But um, something that you guys should know about South Louisiana is that it's hot, okay? It's very hot, and it's very humid, okay? And so um, I had a, a segment of grass that I needed to cut at probably like every week, okay? So I have my segment of grass. My brother has another segment of grass that he has to cut, and it's pretty much a weekly thing that we do this, okay? And the thing is that I hated cutting the grass. Why? Because it's hot. Okay, here's the thing is that like you get to sweating like a lot. You start sweating so much that there comes a point where there's nothing to wipe your sweat off on because you're just wet everywhere. You just have to let the sweat enter your eyes and there's nothing that you could do about it, okay? So cutting grass in Louisiana is, is difficult. It's hard work, okay? It's really hot. And, and on top of it being hot, I had a really bad work ethic whenever I was a young boy. I was probably 10 years old at the time that this particular story takes place. But um, I used to get really mad whenever I had to cut the grass. Um, and it was just a combination of a bunch of bad things. Okay, so there was one week that my dad, there was one week that my brother couldn't or didn't want to do his segment of grass. I don't remember what the exact circumstance was, but my brother didn't do his segment. So my dad asked me, he said, son, would you do, my, would you do your brother's segment of grass this week? And my first thought was, ah, oh, cut extra grass? <laughs> How much sweat do I have to get into my eyes before I, I finish with this, you know? But, but I thought about it, and I was like, well, I could, have my, I could just tell my dad that he has to do it and just be a stubborn little kid. Or um, I could allow my mom to do it, which I definitely don't want that to happen. So I made probably what could have been the first adult decision of my entire life at 10 years old. And I said, okay, Dad, I'll cut the entire front yard. So that's what I did. I cut the whole front yard, and here's what happened. I finished cutting the grass, and whenever I finished, I, I came, and my dad beckoned me. He's like, son, come see. So I, I come close to my dad, and I see that he's got a $20 bill in, my ha- in his hand, and I'm already imagining all the things that a 10-year-old boy could do with $20. So I'm coming close, and I, like, I reach for the money, okay, and he, he draws it away. And when he draws it away, I'm like, Dad, is there some kind of problem here? Like, are you going to show me $20 and then not give it to me? How, how could you do that? And he says, son, and I look at him in the eyes, and he says, you earn this. And he gave me the money. And there was something about that moment that was rich, and it struck me. And I remember it vividly because right then and there, I learned it's good to work hard. My dad taught me something that day. I actually wish that I could do better and consistently remember that. Like, okay, my dad told me it's good to work hard, so I should do that all the time, you know? But the thing is, church, that I grew up with a good dad. He made an effort to teach me good values. Okay, I learned a lot from him, actually. I learned more from him than he probably knows. Um, and not only him, but really my, my family altogether. I'm the youngest boy. I've learned from my brothers and from my mom. So the thing is, church, is not only do I have a good earthly father, but I have a good heavenly father. I want us to know that throughout the biblical narrative, God is constantly being referred to and depicted as a father. And Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, so we have Old Testament depiction and New Testament. 
Isaiah says, Surely you are still our father, referring to God. It says, Even if Abraham and Jacob would disown us, Lord, you would still be our father. You are our redeemer from ages past. So Isaiah says that, that Yahweh is the father of the nation of Israel. Okay, he's their father. And then Jesus refers constantly to God as his father. Perpetually throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus says this. And here's one example. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Okay, so we see that God is seen as a Father throughout the Bible, okay? But the thing is that this really comes comes to life in the New Testament, in Romans and in Galatians, when we find that we become co-heirs to God's inheritance because we have become his adopted children through Jesus. Okay, this means that I am not only a son of my dad, but I'm also a son of the God who has adopted me into his family. That's rich, church. And not only is this rich, but this actually has massive implications for life, okay? But one of the, there's one implication of this that I, I want to hone in on this morning, and it's this. No matter what your father is like here on earth, We have a Father in heaven who is infinitely good, okay? If you only remember one thing that I say today, remember that, that you have a Father in heaven who is infinitely good. Okay, I want to read a passage out of the Proverbs this morning, church, but before I read the passage, I'm going to end up reading the majority of Proverbs 4, but before I read the passage, I actually want to say a few things about the book of Proverbs, Okay, so the book of Proverbs is one of three wisdom literature books in the Old Testament. Okay, we have Proverbs, we have Ecclesiastes, and we have Job. So Proverbs offers rich wisdom for us to learn from. And the segment that we're going to read is actually oriented a bit different from the majority of the book of Proverbs because what we typically see in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs, okay, which are short uh, statements that bring a principle to life like this. One example is that in, in Proverbs 10, 4, it says, lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Hey, that's what my dad taught me, work hard. And then it's short, and it makes a good point, okay? Now, you might say, but that's not always true. Hold on. Lazy people aren't always poor, and hard workers aren't always rich. Well, you're right, and the reason that you're right is because Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are principles, Okay? So you cannot take a proverb and say that this is always right all the time. Okay, So the, the point that we see in this proverb is to work hard. Is it good to work hard? Yes. Will working hard always bring you abundant prosperity? No. Okay, So there's a conundrum that's happening here. And this conundrum is unpacked more in Ecclesiastes and in Job, but the conundrum is beyond our scope of work today. We're going to stick with the proverbs, okay? So the passage that I want to read is not just a proverb, but it's a whole unit of thought, and it's it's written in poetic form. There's uh, Hebrew poetry that comes through as we read. And what What's happening is that, as you see, hopefully in the in your Bibles, as you look at it, it has a line, and then underneath it, it has a line that start like somebody hit the tab button before they started typing. The line is indented a little bit underneath. And what's happening is there's one line that gives a point, and the second line does something to support the first point. And almost the entire book of Proverbs is written in this way. This is Hebrew poetry. Okay, and the reason 
I'm taking time to mention this is because you might find as you read through Scripture, there's a huge portion of Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, that is written in Hebrew poetic form. And if we understand that, it actually helps us to understand the things that we're reading. Okay, like a huge portion of the prophets, a huge portion of the wisdom literature is written in this way. So as we read this morning, this is what's um, happening here. But what's, what's happening in Proverbs 4 is that this is a picture of a father teaching his son. Okay, in a very similar way that my dad taught me. So in Proverbs 4, verse 1, it says, My children... Listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment, for I'm giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instruction. For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. Says my father taught me, take my words to heart, follow my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you, make you great. Embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head. She will present you with a beautiful crown. My child, listen to me and do as I say, for you will have a long, good life. And I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in the straight path. When you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. Guard them, for they are the key to life. Do you see how, how this is happening? We have one line and then another line supports. And this is a father teaching his son. And it's written in a way that's poetic and rich. Okay, let's skip down to verse 20. It says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So the father goes on giving wisdom to his children. But before I get into the wisdom that he gives, I want to talk about what's actually happening here. This is a father speaking to his son, but this isn't just a father speaking to a son. This is a father teaching his children the wisdom that he learned from his father. Okay, If you look at verse 3 and verse 4, it says, For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. And he says, For my father taught me... And then he goes on to, to say, this is what my father taught me. So what's happening is that this is actually wisdom that has, been, that has come through at least two generations. And three generations are being addressed. There's a, there's a father speaking, giving wisdom that he gained from his father to his son. So there's a grandfather gave wisdom to his son, who is now the father of the son who's receiving this wisdom. Okay, So there's three generations being addressed here. And I think that this is a rich picture of generational wisdom. And I think that this is the ideal situation for how a family should function. Which, by the way, this is more a message on family than it is on fatherhood, okay, or sonship. Just so we're clear on that. So I think that the person speaking in this passage is how we ought to be. Because the thing is that before the father could teach, he had to learn didn't he? He said, this is what my father taught me. 
And then he goes on to teach the wisdom that he learned from his dad. But listen, he would have nothing to teach if he didn't first learn. I have a, um, I have a friend, and he's got a young son. And there was one night that he was putting his son to bed. And uh, he was tucking him in and all the things. And he said, I love you, son. And the boy looks up and he says, I love you too, dad. And he, the, my friend, he thought to himself, this is weird because he usually doesn't tell me that he loves me. Okay, so he said, why do you love me, son? The boy looks at me and says, because I don't think you're stupid no more. <laughs> okay, well, I'll take that, I guess. And then he carried on his life. But if you, if you have a parent figure in your life, I advise you, don't consider your parents stupid. Okay, that's not a wise way to think. It's actually a very childish way to think. And you, might, you will find that as you go throughout life, <laughs> your parents aren't stupid. Okay. Here's the thing. Not everyone is a parent. Not everyone is a mom or dad. Okay. But everyone has a parent or a guardian. Someone raised all of us. Okay. So this is a challenge both to children and to parents. And let me say that biblical parenthood has more to do with just biological parents, okay? Now, let me explain this. Paul, in Paul's letters, he refers to Timothy, to Titus, to Onesimus, and to many other people as his spiritual children. He says that I am the spiritual father of these people. So I think that fatherhood goes beyond just what's biological. I think that there's something very real about being a spiritual father or mother to other people. And also, it's something very real to put yourself in a position of spiritual son or daughter to someone who has spiritual authority over you. There's something rich in that picture. So this, this passage is applicable not just to biological parents, but to spiritual parents. And I'm going to take it even one step farther. I'm going to say that anyone who might be a biological or a spiritual parent in the future, I'm going to say that this is applicable for you as well. So I think that the picture here is more than just a father here, but a parent, a picture of a parent in principle, okay? Both spiritual and biological. So ladies, you're not excluded from this, okay? So the thing is that children, we need to be good learners, but the thing is that parents first need to be good teachers. Parents, let me ask you, what are you teaching your children? And this goes for biological and spiritual Parents, what are you teaching your children? And parents, who are you learning from? Parents, where do your values come from? Let me ask you, do you learn your values from culture or do you learn your values from the Lord? Think about this, parents, for one moment. Which values do you think that your children are taking away? I'm going to ask a few hard questions here and just let them, let them sink. Are your children learning to be humble like you? Or are your children learning to be arrogant like you? Are your children learning to trust the Lord by your example? Or are they learning that, is, that the Lord is an irrelevant factor in life? Are your children learning what a healthy, godly family looks like? Or are they developing a distorted image of God because of the distorted family image that you might, bef- that you might portray before them? Are your children learning to uphold good, godly morals in the midst of adversity? Or have you accidentally been teaching your children that good morals are only relevant when things are easy? Parents, let me ask you, how do you orient 
your priorities? Are sports more important than church? Are friends more important than church family? Is entertainment more important than fellowship? Parents, let me ask you, are you teaching your children well enough that they could teach their future children the things that you taught them, like what we see in these Proverbs? Some of you guys might be saying, Joe, you don't even have kids. How could you be teaching us about parenthood? Well, I think that um, I don't need personal experience to draw wisdom from the Bible. Okay? Nor do I think that people with parenting experience are necessarily good parents. Experience isn't everything. I think wisdom can be drawn elsewhere. And children, let me address you for a moment. You've not escaped, okay? Which this, parents have, uh, they're double applicable because parents are parents, but parents are also children to someone, right? Look, you get double doozies this morning. Okay, children which is all of us. Let me ask you. Actually, I don't want to ask you. You ask yourself this question. Henry, ask yourself. Where's Henry? Ask yourself this question. How well do I listen? I see some parents side-eyeing their kids. How well, how well do you think you listen? Hmm? Children, are you learning from the, from the values that your parents teach? Are you learning to orient your priorities according to your parents' guidance? Children, are you obeying? Are you learning from your parents? Children, are you choosing to learn well enough to be able to teach someone else the things that your parents taught you? Henry's staring at me over there. I see you back there, buddy. I'm a youth leader, okay? Okay. I'm a youth leader in, in the lives of our youth students, but, and, and that only means that I can see with absolute clarity that a parent's influence supersedes mine, okay? I think that I'll speak for Kika when I say a parent's influence supersedes the youth pastors. I actually think that you as parents are arguably the most influential people in the lives of of your children long-term, and that is a heavy responsibility. I mean, if you consider the quantity of time that you spend with your students in comparison to us as youth leaders, it's a lot more. I think that you are the single most influential people in the lives of your children, and that's heavy. The way that they view life will largely depend on you. No, okay, it's good to obey your parents. Yes, it's good to learn from their wisdom, and it's necessary for parents to strive to be good teachers. But just like the Proverbs, there are exceptions. Here's the thing is that parents are flawed, children are selfish, and people are broken. It's important for parents and children to learn to live by these principles, and this is how a family should function. Parents loving their children and teaching them well, and children loving their parents and obeying them carefully. This is how things ought to be. But along with this, we have to keep in mind as Christians that our God is the Father of fathers. Our son or our sonship or our daughtership to God supersedes our son or our daughtership to our parents. That relationship will last longer and it is more important. 
Here's the thing. Where our parents fail, God is perfect. And what our family lacks, God has. Church, our, our heavenly father is the owner of all goodness. And he possesses, he possesses everything righteous. Parents, let me advise you. Let the source of your parenting come from the Lord. And children, let the things that you learned from your parents be a supplement to what you are learning from the time that you spend with Jesus. Um, Children and students, don't let every bit of your biblical knowledge or your knowledge about Jesus come from your parents. You dive into the Bible and let your parents' relationship be a supplement to that. So that means that children and students, you might have to tell your parents at times, hey, I don't think we should be doing that. I think we should be doing this instead. I don't think we should go camping on Sunday. I think we should go to church instead. I don't think we should do this on Wednesday night. I think we should go to church instead. That means, students, you might have to challenge your parents at times and say, well, the Lord says this. Here's what I think we should do. You know what I mean? But either way, church, let the ultimate father of both children and parents be the Lord. Children, obey the Lord. Parents, obey the Lord. I think that our our first obligation as Christians is to be obedient to the Lord. Okay, let me, I'll tell you another story about my dad. Okay, whenever um, I was young, I lived in his house. He asked me to cut the grass, believe it or not. Like I said, we had to do this weekly. It was all the time kind of thing. So my dad asked me to cut the grass. And what am I doing? I'm playing video games like any normal kid. And I'm playing video games. He comes into the room. He says, hey, son, can you go cut the grass? Yeah, dad, I'm on it. He closes the door, leaves. A couple minutes later, he comes in. Hey, son, are you going to cut the grass? Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm on it right now. And then he leaves, comes back. Ten minutes later, the same thing happened. Ten minutes later, again and again and again, 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes later. And way more times than what my dad should have to do, he comes in. <laughs> Finally, and each time he's a little bit more angry. Okay, I can see it happening. I can see the fuse going down, okay? So he comes in again for the last time. He comes in barging. The first thing he does is he reaches behind the TV and just starts ripping cords out from behind the TV. Okay, he reaches behind my PlayStation 2, starts ripping all the cords out from behind there. And I'm like, no, Dad, stop. I need that. And so finally, I got up. I was like, all right, I'll do what you say. I'll obey you, Dad. And I I finally went out and I cut the grass like I should have done hours before. And I learned that day, that obedience makes things simple for everyone. Church, our first responsibility as Christians is obedience to the Lord. Children, let me ask you, are you obedient? Do you cling to the things that the Father teaches? Do you treasure His words? Do you take them to heart? Do you let them sink in? Do you take hold of and guard His instructions? Do His words penetrate your heart like what's mentioned in the Proverbs? Church, do you treasure the wisdom that the Lord offers you? Now, it it pains me. It pains me to admit that the family situation for some is a lot different than mine. I have been blessed with a good family and good parents, okay? Some of us in this room are blessed with good parents. You've been fortunate. I'll take that farther in a moment. For now, let's look back at our passage. In Proverbs 4, 
I'm going to read through verses 20 to 22. It says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. So we've established already that this is the father teaching his son something that he learned from his father. We've already established that. Now, for some, this is an awesome picture. A father is teaching his son good wisdom. And in a parallel way, God teaches us, his adopted children, wisdom. Now, for some, this is good. This makes perfect sense. But for others, this might provoke anger. Church, the, the sad truth in America is that we don't have strong families. Okay, now I'm not saying that there's not a single family in here or in the church that is strong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, the, I'm saying that um, on a large scale, the picture of family is deteriorating. I think that we as Christians need to contest this aggressively, which means that we need to be the kind of Christian parents that the Bible calls us to be. Now, the, the picture of a parent teaching their child the Lord's ways is disappearing. And even farther than this, there are dads who refuse the responsibility of parenthood. There are, there are dads who abuse their families in ways that are torturous. There are parents who neglect their children. There are some who abort unwanted children. And it gets a lot worse than this. <laughs> things that are difficult to even imagine, painful to imagine. There are fewer things that make me more angry than families that are broken when they never had to be in the first place. And if, if that's you, if you're um, a subject of a situation like that, if you're a victim in a, a situation like that, I am sorry. I wish that your circumstances could have been different. But hear me this morning. No matter what your family situation is like here, you have the option to be adopted into the only family whose father is perfect. Church, our Heavenly Father has the desire to comfort you. He wants to bless you. He wants to show you His love. He wants you to come close to Him. He has your best interest in mind, and He will never leave or forsake you. And for some reason that I cannot figure out, God has a love for his children that's deeper than anything that you could imagine. I have a a nephew. This is hard. This is going to be hard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have a nephew. Three years ago, his, brother, his, his dad died, my brother. My brother died, and he had four kids. He died unexpectedly, and he was young. He wasn't even 40. But one of his sons in particular, he's 10 years old right now. I'm, I'm particularly close to him. And I'm trying to teach him things that the Bible has to say, but I can see that he's struggling. I can see that it's, I can see that it's hard for him. I can see that whenever I say things like God is a good father, he struggles with it. I can see that he's asking the question deep down, if God is good, why would he take my dad away? 
I can see that he's asking the question, if my dad loves me, why would he go away? My nephew is wrestling and may wrestle with this his whole life with the idea that God can be good, but bad things can still happen. Now, some have the question, if God is a father, then how could he be good? If that's you, I'm sorry. And in my nephew's young mind, he's angry. Why do I have to grow up without a dad? And here's the thing is that my fear, one of my fears is that his picture of fatherhood is becoming distorted. And this is difficult because what might happen here is that because of the fact that his picture of fatherhood is becoming distorted, he could potentially project a distorted image of fatherhood onto God. I'll explain this more in a minute. But whenever... But for my nephew, whenever I mention that God is a father, I fear that his subconscious asks the question, well, then where is he? Now, the thing is that we all have a dad. But some would say that he wasn't around. Some would say I hardly knew him. And some would say, I wish I never knew him. Some would say, I wish he was never around. See, I think that it's hard to consider God the good father that he is when we have a damaged perspective of the family. And the reason is because we have a tendency to project the way that we see our family onto God. Now the thing is that whether your earthly dad was good or terrible, we need to make a conscious effort to think of God as a father in the right way. And for some, this will prove to be an overwhelmingly difficult task to deliberately think of God in the way that he actually is. So if that's you, let me say, no matter what your family here on earth looks like, you have a father in heaven who loves you. But the thing is that you will need to make a conscious effort to think of him in that way. Thinking of God as a good father may not come naturally to you, but you have to put work into thinking that way on purpose. Now, for others, people like me, we've been fortunate with a healthy, strong family. And for us who have been fortunate, we may, we may need to extend some extra love toward those who are less fortunate. We may need to show some particular care and concern for those who are growing up without or with a broken or with a distorted family, I think that it's wise for a Christian to bear some responsibility on that front and to work on each other's behalf so that we could grow with as strong of a family picture image as we possibly can. For those who are less fortunate, but let me plug in right here briefly that you might think of yourself as less fortunate, but don't be eager to think of yourself as someone who's less fortunate. Okay, I don't think there's good wisdom in being eager to think of yourself as someone who's unfortunate. I think that's a dangerous place to be. But with that aside, what I'm, what I'm getting at is that we need to establish the point that God is a good father. He is a good father. Now, he, he is like a good earthly father in that he desires to care for us. He has authority over us. His goal is to protect us and to take us in the right direction, just like the father in the Proverbs was. But he is unlike an earthly father because he is perfect. And in every way, he is good in every way. 
He knows all things. He has all power. He is flawless. And he permanently has your best interest in mind. Like a good father, he punishes. Like a good father, he teaches. And like a good father, he wants the best for us. Church, our God is the perfect father, and he willingly chooses to call you son and daughter. So with this in mind, we can look at the actual advice that the Proverbs give, which is actually just one verse that I want to read. Not all the advice I'm going to look at, but in verse 23, it says, guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. In the Good News translation, it puts it in a way that that really became highlighted to me. It says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Well, this is important because just a moment ago, we were talking about how a person's perspective of God as a father is innately shaped by that person's perspective of the earthly father. So here's the thing is that if we're determined to see God in such a way that he is corrupt or that he is abusive or that he's angry or that he's a drunk or that he's a loose cannon or that he just isn't present at all, if we allow ourselves to think in that way, then it will shape our lives. Church, have you allowed yourself to see God as the father that he is? Is he good in your estimation of who he is? Or have you allowed your perspective of our heavenly father to be distorted because of our perspective of our earthly families? Church, the way that you choose to think about God will shape your future with him. Now, my nephew, he's going to have to make a choice over and over again. Will I guard my heart? Will I be careful how I think? He's going to have to make the decision, will I choose to see God as the good father that he is, or will I allow my broken perspective to distort who I believe God to be? My nephew is going to have to give an answer to this question again and again throughout the course of his life. And I will say that his answer to this question ultimately will determine the course of his life. He will have to choose to see that God is good. Church, what's your answer to this question? Do you see God as the good father that he is? Or are you allowing your view to be distorted? I'm coming to a close, Renita. I don't know if you're the altar this morning. Church, we have the ability and the option for how we choose to view God. Okay, in the very same way that we have the option for how we we choose to view people, and this might be a bit complicated. Let me take a sec- second to explain this. But like, if you if you think of a person, think of uh, someone who exactly. I'm going to put this in a mathematical way, and hopefully we'll understand better. But if you think of someone who exactly 50% of the time is good to you, okay, and exactly 50% of the time is not good to you, okay, there are some people who are maybe more optimistic who would say, yeah, this person's pretty good. And then there are people who are less optimistic just by nature and would say, this person's awful to me all the time. In one case, they choose to ignore all the good things. and In another case, they choose to ignore all the bad things. And what I'm saying is that we actually have the ability to choose how we see people. Okay? And I think that we have the ability to choose how we see God. Will we see, the, will we see him according to the good things that he has done? Or will we see him according to the bad things in my life that have happened? 
We cannot allow our circumstances to choose this for us. Because the thing is that our circumstances will always choose wrong. Because everyone's got a broken family to some extent. Because as it turns out, no one is perfect. If you allow your circumstances to choose how you see the Father, then you will come out with a distorted perspective. You actually have to choose to see God in the way that he actually is, according to Scripture. Church, I want us to know this morning, and I want my nephew to know, that God is truly good, like a father who couldn't possibly love you any more than he does. He has your best interest in mind. He desires to teach you. My question is, are you listening to him? In Matthew 7, he's, Jesus, Jesus is speaking here, and he says, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a, a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Church, we have a good Father in heaven who has the desire to bless you. The question is, are you listening to him this morning? I'm in my conclusion now, church. We have a responsibility, both as children and as parents, whether spiritual or biological. We've got a responsibility. Parents, parents need to be willing to teach their children sound biblical wisdom, which implies, by nature, that parents are learning sound biblical wisdom. Where do you learn sound biblical wisdom from, parents? Henry, where do people learn sound biblical wisdom? The Bible. Somebody give that kid a high five. Yes, parents, we need to learn Scripture so that we can teach Scripture. Children, we need to take the wisdom of our parents. Take hold of the wisdom that's offered to you the same way that the Proverbs are shown There's a father who says, here are the good things that are taught to me. So take them, take hold of them. Children, take hold of the wisdom that's taught by your parents. And both parents and children need to strive to submit to the father of fathers. The father who stands above every other father. We need to learn from God and to think rightly of him as the good and the righteous father that he is. We can't allow our circumstances to distort our perspective of who God is. Church, we're going to open the altars this morning, and the altar call is, is three, threefold. The first is to be a good parent. If you know that you need to be a better parent or spiritual parent or future parent, these altars are open for you. And for children, this altar is open. If you know that you need to be a better son or daughter to your parents, but even more so to the father, then this altar is open. And the third is thinking rightly of God. If you know that you've allowed your perspective of the father to be distorted by anything, then this, this altar is open for you this morning, church. We'll take a moment to pray and then we'll come and close. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.